So we had this logo, let's say, <laughs> or this idea very much in our mind, which was that we didn't want to fall in love with our idea. We always wanted to hear and to listen what the market wanted out of us. And we were making sure that whatever we were delivering was value. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Today I have Emily Gonzalez Sebien. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here today. First, could you tell me a little bit about your company, Froggit, and what problem do you guys solve? Okay, so Froggit, and I love this question. So Froggit, we define Froggit as a, a, a product success platform. We, when we talk of product success, it's very much uh, customer success and customer support related to product. So we're very much a meta SaaS. So we work for other SaaS and for other platforms and we help them to handle and to optimize their users' lifecycle from the very beginning, from onboarding their new users and new clients to the, what we call very end, but it's not the end. It's like just the continuation of that lifetime, uh, which includes the, that support, support with superpowers, as we say. Nice. So, so, so the, low, the whole customer journey of SaaS uh, users and what kind of like companies usually are using your product? At what stage SaaS businesses start to, to get in the product? So it's mainly other SaaS and platforms, as I said. We focus very much in the mid-market. So it's mid-market SaaS. But when we talk of mid-market, we don't talk of the size of my clients because we do currently have uh, real big clients, but of the size, the clients of my clients' uh, tickets have. So that is what settles with that we are in the mid-market. So we focus very much in that mid-ticket size. Makes sense. What is kind of like the mid-ticket size? Could you kind of like go deeper on that? So, um, I mean, if we, if we divide uh, the market into tiers and um, we talk of enterprise level and uh, that mid market would be, I would say around 5,000 uh, a year, 3,000 a year, over 3,000 a year could start uh, being what we talk of mid market. That's awesome. Okay, so I would love to dive deeper in the story of the company. But before we go there, I would love to learn a little bit more about you. What were you doing before you decided to start this business? <laughs> in, fact, <laughs> in fact, I'm very connected to you in this point. Because before I started Froggit, I used to live in Brazil, in Rio to be exact. And um, I lived there for almost seven years. I worked for a multinational company, originally from Spain. And then it was when I decided to go back to Spain and um, I, that I had this idea of starting uh, something. I didn't know that it was going to be Froggit at that time. But uh, but yes, and then um, I met Angel and Juanjo, who are my co-founders. And this is a very small seed of what Froggit became and is becoming today. That's great. So, so like you were like, okay, I'm ready 
I worked for a big company for a while. I want to go on my own and start a business. But you didn't know what kind of business would be. And so like, how do you, let's talk a little bit more about how you find out the idea and like how you figure out what to build. So first of all, Phil, you, you were, I mean, I, I can see like two questions within that one question. So I always knew that I was going to start something. I wasn't sure about what was that, what was it going to be and uh, what was the topic or we were uh, going to work about. And the, the reason why Froget came to, to the reality was because our CDO, which is uh, one of the co-founders, as I said, Angel, he had this idea. I mean, he's a full stack and this this, this kind of person who's been always you know, checking around and talking to founders and understanding very much where the problems and the pain points were. And so he came to Juanjo and myself with this idea of creating something special or something as a meta SaaS, as I said, a SaaS for other SaaS, understanding very much these pain points that he he had faced uh, during his time in the market. So this was how Froget started. So at the beginning, it was like kind of more transversal because we also covered marketing and sales. And then over time, we focused, we ended focusing very much in customer success and support, which is the place where we were delivering the, the most value and where we saw these two problems, which is, as I said at the beginning, or overset, which is conversion. Uh, so we help. Uh, I mean, users convert from just uh, free trials to paying customers, which is one of the of the you know goals we as SaaS and platforms seek. And the other one, which is trying to reduce churn, which as you know, uh, having worked for SaaS, it's one of the most important metrics and one of the reasons why many SaaS and platforms do not last long. So those were like the two initial pain points that we were there to solve. But at the very end, we are like trying to solve and help handling that life cycle as as we spoke at the beginning. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you chose the market meta SaaS. You want to work with other SaaS. It was because you guys were already involved in the SaaS community. Uh, how, how did you figure out, uh, like, okay, this is where we want to work. We want to serve <laughs> other SaaS business. Okay. So, yes. And especially Angel was very involved. I mean, he's been, this is his third SaaS. So it was two SaaS before Froget. And he's always been very involved in the, in the community. And we understood that there is a transformation. I mean, SaaS is very specific for the software industry, but something that we we have all seen is that the economy in general is being transformed into the subscription economy. So we are like uh, driving super fast towards this subscription economy where um, all uh, businesses become uh, platforms where they deliver subscriptions, I mean, as a service, in the subscription model. And so this is why uh, we understood that, that these points are these pain points were affecting all this upcoming uh, new economy. And so, yeah, this was like, you know, there is something which is happening here. There is a big wave coming here. And we were just trying to get that wave. 
and uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's so true. I, I feel like there's a subscription for everything right now. There's a subscription for for your car wash. There's a subscription, even like even those like more old old style business. I would say old school. They have a, a subscription, and so there's. And once you have a subscription, there's the problem of churn, because it's completely like okay, I sign up this person now. How I make sure I keep providing value, and that's the problem that you guys are are trying to solve. Completely. In fact, there there are these two, right? Because it's where the money is coming in. Okay, whoever is just trying my my service or my platform that I want to convert, and and then of course that uh, making sure that they don't churn, right? So that they keep on. I mean, you keep on delivering uh, what they expect, this value they are expecting, and that you make success and happy customers, happy clients, right? So, yeah, very much that. (laughs) (laughs) So why do you think you were the right founder uh, to build this product? So when Angel Juanjo and myself, who met in an incubator, um, I mean, we decided to move together because we were trying to find uh, the right combination of skills, personalities, and of course, the background. So what I believe that makes me the right founder is, um, yeah, is not only the experience I had, but also my ability to to see. I mean, I, I believe I have a strong vision and a strong ability to um, to execute and to make things real, and the combination of the three of us, I think, is what is winning. Uh, I mean, it's our winning strong value, right? So yeah, it's very much that combination, I would say. So it's technical skills, but also the ability to manifest and to uh, you know make things real. And uh, and the culture that the three of us is starting uh, building, I think, is is one of the of the strong points. Also, a lot of people struggle on finding that co-founder, like to make sure you can work together, even where to go to find. So it looks like you guys were in the incubator, just kind of like all by yourself, and then you got there, and then you met. Like, how did it happen? In fact, it happened in a different way, and it happened in a different way to what you're saying, but in the same way for the three of us. In fact, myself, I just came, I mean, I just had came back from Brazil, so I wasn't connected to the ecosystem here. And uh, they, reached, they reached out to me and they invited me to one of the hackathons they create on the weekends. So this incubator, they call themselves, I mean, it's Demium, and it's pre-idea, pre-team. So you don't need to have an idea, you don't need to have a team. So you just go there and see if there is a match with other potential co-founders. And that's the very beginning of, you know, of what could happen, which, which in fact happens to happen to us. And um, this is where we met. And the idea was like to find, they, they, they search for uh, business uh, profiles, tech profiles and marketing profiles. And, and they just mix us. And we start working in like in short projects. I mean, as a hackathon. And then you have like 15 days of onboarding where you test your mates and you test yourself to see, you know, if you could eventually be a match to uh, start a business. 
this was our case. And in fact, I have to tell you that per my, I mean, something that I've been observing and, and, and this is something very visible. And sometimes whenever you're thinking and starting something, you think in people who are close to you, who may be your relatives, who may be your friends, but at some point, those could or not be the right partners for, you know, for a project or for a company like ours. And you know that a company means a lot of things. <laughs> so it's many things that you have to put on the table. So, yeah, in our, in our case, it was very much like that. That's a great story. And for sure, like, because when you're looking for founders, they, they have to be different than you are. You have to have different skills. And your friends are likely very similar to you. Exactly. But that's very interesting because here in Utah, there's a lot of those hackathons and, and I love going to them. Like now I'm a little bit too busy, but I remember back in the day I would go and it's usually like three days. We don't even sleep and you're working on something. And I always went just for have fun. I never had the expectation of I'm going to find a co-founder. Um, but I think that's an amazing site for people because those hackathons are everywhere uh, and you can just go and you can meet people. I, I feel like this is a golden nugget for, for people that listen to the show that want to find a founder, uh, go to hackathons. But but maybe you, you have to build some skills before you go there because you're going to work in the three days and, and trying to, to be putting something together or like wh however long the process is. How, do you have those skills? Like they told you how it was, like the process. No, 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 no. It was like in, in our case, uh, it was very much like, we didn't know what we were going to face or what we were going to be doing those days. And we were just looking around. And of course, you can prepare for that. You know, preparing yourself for whatever you have in life is always a, a good recommendation. But at the same time, I, I believe uh, more in um, the attitude. And whenever you see a person in action, whenever you have to solve a problem, whatever the problem is, is when you're going to see how they react and how eventually that partnership could happen or not. I mean, so um, in our case, I remember some of the tests or the, you know, uh, that we went through were like kind of fun, a lot of fun. It's like, for example, they just gave us like some money, like 10 euros, and then you have three hours and you have to go to the streets and make sure that you multiply that for the maximum, you know, you have to get back with the maximum amount of money pos possible. So it's like you have to be creative and you have three people with you or two more people and you, and then you have to make sure that you create something, you create a, a business out of just uh, 10 euros. And, uh, and that's great because you see people and you see how you interact, you see who is them, you know? So it gives you a lot of clues. And um, uh, at least in my case was like very, very inspiring and very good at the time of selecting who I want to go with. And to check if of course there were people because uh, I've seen many cases, I mean, sometimes, uh, you need just to mix uh, a lot. Just one hackathon could not be enough. I don't know. In our case, we, we were lucky that we met in that one hackathon. But that's, yeah. that's definitely a fun exercise. <laughs> but as you say, but as you say, as you say, I think it's good to expose yourself to to different environments to work, to those that you're used to, because sometimes you meet people who are different to you and who are the people that you need for in your in your project or in your 
future company. So that's great. Yes. For sure. So let's keep going this story. So now you have a team. You guys all met <laughs> in the hackathon. Uh, so how was that you guys built the first version of your product? Uh, did you raise any money? Walk, us, walk me through the process of building the first version and maybe even the challenges that you guys face trying to have a product to market. So in our case, um, we started building this first MVP. It is true that because we wanted to create and uh, to build a platform, the idea of creating an MVP for a platform was already like kind of hard in terms of it took a bit longer than maybe any other kind of MVP. But at the same time, we had the advantage of being in that incubator, which allowed uh, allow us to have uh, or to be in communication with many other projects. And remember that we wanted to be a meta SaaS. So having other SaaS or other platforms, let's say other projects around, was already a plus or was already an advantage. And we made sure that we wanted to receive at all times the feedback from the market. So we had this this logo, let's say, <laughs> or this idea very much in our mind, which was that we didn't want to fall in love with our idea. We always wanted to hear and to listen what the market wanted out of us. And that we were making sure that whatever we were delivering was value. And for that, you have to be very, I mean, you have to be very objective. You have to separate yourself. At You know, sometimes it's like whenever you create something, it's like your baby. It's like your own self. And you have to make sure that you don't attach yourself to that idea or to that project so that you're able to receive any feedback. So getting that, that feedback is something we did from the very beginning. We were testing every single thing we were developing was being tested from the beginning. And then something that helped us a lot was that once we had that MVP ready, we launched in, in AppSumo. And so the idea was like to expose ourselves a lot to people who were very far away from us and who were going to be giving us feedback, very open feedback. And you know how AppSumo and Sumolings are, that they will tell you openly everywhere, whatever they think about you and about your product. So it also helped us for us was like kind of a product market fit test for us so that we could really got get um, not only this information about the market, but, you know, it was like kind of testing it. So that was very much our experience. So for us, it was great. It was hard. Huh? It was hard because it's a lot of work you have to do. And uh, but yeah, I think it, it helped. It helped. And then it has always been like that. Always, you know, testing and checking and very much, uh, you know, and then little by little, whenever we started having clients, uh, also for any new functionality or any let, new... Let me stop you here before I talk about the clients. I, I like to go back uh, because I love what you say about we fell in love with the problem, not with the solution. Uh, could you share maybe a solution that you guys put front in the world and that wasn't the right solution? You got the feedback and it was kind of hard to hear it, but you went back and you recreate that that solution. I would love to kind of like dive deeper because we hear that all the time, but 
it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to actually go and do it. So yeah, walk me through maybe an example. So for example, Phil, as I was saying at the beginning, we were kind of more, I mean, broad and we touch also sales and marketing. So it was not just customer success and support, but, and it was through this feedback being received if essentially from from this launching up sumo that we figured out and we saw clearly that the space where we were delivering more value and where we were solving the pain was really there in customer success and support but it was just the beginning okay so it's like is whenever you're like putting some seeds on the on the ground and then you start seeing that you know, over there, you see some green ones, and then you have to make sure that you go that way. So it was very much like that. So it helped us like, okay, let's focus here and let's put all our efforts here. And there is always this Pareto law <laughs> that is 80-20, and making sure that you find out which is the 20% of what you're offering that is given or, I mean, it's not exactly that uh, proportion, but it's very, mu very much that way, uh, which is giving 80% of the value. So making sure that you find out which is it and that you focus again there. So it's a constant focus exercise. So you make sure that you discover, you find out where is that, I mean, where is that 8, 20% and you focus, refocus there. And this, this doesn't end. So we are still there. So I'm sure that you've, you've gone also through the same process. So it's making sure that it's like filtering. Okay. You're like, you know, you have this filter and you filter. Okay. I got the 20%. Okay. Again, I have to do this so that you really build something that is providing the real, I mean, uh, the body you're, you're providing the value that you, you were supposed to, right? For sure. And, and so that, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for, for going deeper on that. And I like how you, you say you start a little bit more horizontal and then you figure out, okay, this is the vertical you're going to go down to. It, it's just, let's help with the customer experience. Um, now, I'm very aware of like a lot of companies that start on AppSumo uh, and it, it's great, but because you're early on, churn is something that's usually super high. Uh, and now you're building a product to help people overcome churn. Reduce. To reduce churn. <laughs> and you launch your product on a place where there's a lot of churn. So, so tell me about how, how it go. Like, did you guys got a lot of churn? And what did you learn to, to improve your own product to later be able to, to help your, your customers? So in our case, I have to say that from the very beginning, our churn was really low. And to our, I mean, something that has been helping us all the way, and I believe this is going to continue helping us all the way to the future, is the fact that Froggit is at the same time a lab for what we are offering to our clients because we use Froggit with Froggit. So our customer success, our support is provided also through Froggit. So it helps us because we are... At the same time, it's like we are collecting this feedback. We are providing something that we are experiencing with ourselves. So it's very, it's very good at the time of, you know, making sure 
that you nail it down. So whenever you offer uh, the functionality or the service to others, you're also experiencing it in yourself. So that is also something that helps all the way. And it is it is true that, of course, we are proud of our turn levels, which are <laughs> super low. Uh, but we're especially more proud to see how we help our clients uh, to reduce their, those turn levels too. And I would say that more than reducing the turn levels or um, the turn, we help them to identify the patterns, I mean, and to do dynamic segmentation, which allows them to work with users before they could be potential churn, which is even better because you don't need to fight against churn, but to work proactively, not to have it. So that's very much where, where we focus and we do it with ourselves first. So yeah, that's the best part. That's amazing because I think one of the hardest challenges in building a SaaS is understanding your user and f yeah. putting yourself in their shoes. And you are at the same time the user and, and the person like helping your users. So kind of like you eat your own dog food, like they like to say. No, and that's, and that's great. And I, for example, myself, and I'm talking as a user, as a customer, uh, this is something that I've always observed and... Uh, Analyze very much, you know, whenever a company is providing a service, the, I mean, at least for me, the, the less I expect is that they are providing what they, I mean, they do or they represent what they are providing. So if, I mean, if you are providing customer success, let's say what I expect from you is like you had an outstanding customer success, right? Or if you are a support platform, the less I expect is that your support is, is, is at least is, is great. So it's like, you know, um, so that is something that becomes also, it's not, it's not a metric, but it's uh, a level, uh, a, you know, uh, a standard level that, that we, of course, uh, provide and that we constantly uh, exam, examine and analyzing ourselves. I am the same way. Like when I'm buying a product, a service, and for example, for coding mail is something like if I get a coding mail from a SaaS product, I might look at it. Maybe I need, if I get a coding mail from a marketing firm, I'm like, uh, what's your problem? If you're a pay-per-click company, can you get leads doing your own thing? <laughs> so. Exactly. No, no, exactly, exactly. But it's like sometimes we forget because we're in a world where, you know, there is so many things of everything that, I mean, that, you know, sometimes we don't see, but there should be a strategy everywhere. And you have to see that strategy and you have to see that coherence, right? So if you are, as you say, no, if you're providing something and for others, the less you have to do is that in your own team with your own <laughs> project in your own company, that level should be outstanding or at least very good, right? So, yeah. So, what do you think like managing churn is so important for a SaaS business? I think we discussed earlier a bit um, because at the end, you know, it's it's one of the metrics that is talking about your. Uh, your how how long are you gonna be able to last? And because at the end you're a subscription business, don't forget that. 
So you grow because you have new uh, new clients coming in, but you grow also because you make those clients which are already with you grow at the same time. So you, you have to, those to level. So churn means that, uh, you know, it's like having a, uh, a bag. Um, this is the hole where you're losing your clients. And so sometimes, and I've seen some SaaS, which haven't been focused uh, at the time they need it to in, in turn. And at the end, it's like bleeding. They are bleeding and they are losing their, their business. And so even though they focus in acquiring more and more, they are losing at the same time. So that's the reason why you're not going to be lasting. But at the same time, it's like your market is talking. It's talking and it's telling you what is. I mean, they are not happy. You're not providing what they expect. So so it's like you can read it from different angles. So the basic one is that, okay, you're losing money. That's very obvious. But there is also a second reading, which is that you're not delivering what the market expects out of you. And so it may lead you to, you know, rethink on the product strategy or, you know, there could be many reasons. So this is why churn is, is really important for SaaS and for, I would say, for subscription businesses in general. Yeah, I, I think especially in the early days, right, uh, when you're looking for the product market fit, if your churn is super high, high, it means that you don't have product market fit. Maybe you have product marketing fit because you're able to sell that, but you can't keep that. So I, I believe like that metric is so important because you, okay, that's um, really adding value. And it's becoming, with having a subscription for everything, I, because we, we kind of like touch about that, I think it's kind of hard too, because people are like signing up for things and canceling things, and you, and you have to really make sure people are getting the value. So I, I do believe it's probably the most important metric uh, that you should be looking at, or one of the most important metrics that, oh, yeah. that you should be looking at as a SaaS business. Uh, l let's go back and talk about customers, because you kind of start talking about getting more customers and I cut you off. So you you got Upsumo, and then how do you got more customers after Upsumo? How you guys kept growing uh, your product uh, after that? So we have like this double approach. I, I would say that there is uh, yeah, the St. Grail um, uh, recipe, which is exclusive for every business. So yours and mine could be very different, but it's always a combination of approaches. So you have like this outbound or outreach approach and then the inbound. So in our case, we've been working in both, uh, both channels. So the very first customers, I would say that they, I mean, they've, uh, they came very much from this outreach and this uh, more outbound um, approach. But this happened at the same time as we were building this inbound machine in our in our case. So it's this combination which is allowing us to grow. So, yeah, so those first customers, I would say, is more like that. Some of them, they, of course, get to know you. So it's kind of referrals too of, you know, many, maybe a company that talks to other company. And as you say, sometimes in the SaaS world, even though it's growing a lot, um, kind of we may know each other from because we always move in the same area or in the same. <laughs> so, yeah, very much that way. 
That's awesome. So, so Outbound was the first channel that was very successful for you. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I love Outbound as an early channel for marketing because like we talk about, you're trying to figure out who is your ideal customer? Who, who wants your product? And, and maybe what message is going to work for your product? And once you figure that out, you can kind of transfer that into your, you can replicate, you can replicate your inbound efforts. But if you just, because inbound takes longer and if you're like testing and you don't know who your customer is, who you're talking to, it, it's just, it's harder. So I, and you can be spending money just uh, more than spending money is just burning money. So I think that inbound needs that you have first uh, the information about, as you say, who is your ideal customer profile, uh, which is the message you should be addressing to them. So once you have it, once you've tested it, okay, just go and burn, I mean, and spend your money there. And so you can bring <laughs> those inbound leads. But till there, I think the, that's, that outreach is important. Yeah, I, I love that strategy. I have so many SaaS products do that. Uh, and especially, if, I don't know how much money you guys raise, but it's a little bit cheaper to do it that way. Uh, you, you, Because again, you're being more uh, specific. So now you have more customers. I'm, I'm sure you have to start, have to start hiring. Like there's the three co-founders uh, wouldn't be able to keep the company growing. T talk to me about like the first hires and maybe even to what size are you guys today? So... I would say I remember I was in Sasto, Barcelona uh, last summer. I mean, this summer, just a few months ago. And uh, it was funny because one of the sessions that I especially loved was talking about those hires and those different moments in, in a startup. So at the very beginning, you need exceptional people. I remember that word. It's like you need exceptional people. Would you just give a knife? And they can handle whatever. So just give them whatever and they are able to deliver what you need. And and then you need very good people. Okay. I mean, in order to grow, you will need very good people who may allow you to establish processes, will help you, um, you know, creating this structure. But don't forget that at the very beginning is exceptional people. So if you cross the moment, it may lead to, you know, kind of a confusion and eventually you will not be able to develop the project at the speed you need. So it's very important that that point. And uh, so our first hires were like kind of, I mean, it was very exciting the, the, at the beginning when we decided to start hiring. And searching, I mean, we were doing everything in, in our own, of course, as, as we all do, right? And so we were kind of looking for that attitude, for that spirit, because I would say that there is like an spirit of whoever wants to be part of an early stage startup. And, you know, at some points we failed or we were not very good at the time of selecting. So we had, I mean, we went through some mistakes, uh, but at the same time, we learned. So I've always said that, you know, if we, if we just uh, go through some mistakes, but we learn, okay, the lesson is worth it, you know, because it will help you to, you know, you already know what you don't have to do or what may allow you to do things better. So that's uh, one of the things. And then you were asking me about the size today. So we are 16 today. 
And I remember having um, a conversation at lunch uh, with um, with one of the co-founders uh, well, of one of one SAS and David Hennemeyer from Basecamp. You know him. So and and then I remember that he was telling me how important it is to keep uh, small. I mean, small teams but very high performance team. So you need to have outstanding people with you and try not to grow too much. And that, and that made me think a lot and understanding uh, which was the model that I wanted to, to have in Froget for us. So it's very much that, uh, what we seek for. So in order to be as scalable and to to be able to scale the business to where towards we want to 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 get, we need to you know to create that foundation, very very strong foundation, which would allow us to replicate also the culture, to replicate what we want to want to have as a as a culture, and and so that's where we are. So sixteen today, yeah. Yeah, I love the strategy of like staying small and, and being the, the very uh, exceptional team they're talking about. So, but how do you find these people? And most important, how do you keep these people? You, you touch on culture, and I think that's part of keeping these people. But no, no, that's just, I, I would say that's the, one of the most important things. Of course, money is important. But, you know, today, as we evolve, people realize that there are so many other things which allows them to have the style or the lifestyle they want and to be surrounded by the environment they are seeking for. So I believe that those are the, the areas where we could be very good at as we grow. And of course, the, the money and the salaries also, also grow, right? But, you know, being in startup means that you have to be very good and very efficient uh, capital consumption. And so you always have to be creative at the time of, you know, deciding or doing things. Um, and yes, I think that uh, for Froget, and if you talk to anyone in the team, they would tell you, which I think is uh, is one of the reasons why everyone belongs and fit and have have that that feeling of belong of belonging, which is very much the culture, very much what we believe about people. We always say that we are also we are human powered technology, and that shows that even though we are in the software world and software seems like something very much unhuman or not very much human. But uh, it's through the, that software, it's through that. But we want to show that human part of all of us. And to be more exact, when we talk of, of customer success or support, that's also the, the strongest liaison or the strongest link that a user or a consumer can have with a company. So it's where the human link happens. So for us, it's really important. And we are very proud of that part. So human power technology, that's very much also for it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, what does the name mean? It, it has anything to, to do with human power technology? Yeah. So the story about Froget, in fact, 
uh, the pronoun we pronounce frogged because it's Ed the frog. Is uh, the name of the frog is Ed, and we wanted to have a name that created that personality and that also allowed people, users, companies to link or to fill that link with our company. This is why, I mean, this is why we choose Froged. And also the idea of the leap, I mean, a frog always leaps. So we help other companies to, uh, I mean, to step forward, to uh, give that leap. And also relates to sustainability. And uh, we have like a very clear conscious of, you know, helping and giving back to the earth what we receive from from it and and so we also collaborate and by the way in brazil so far in brazil but we are exploring also other areas so we help planting trees one tree per client per month uh, per subscription so um, it's like also that connection so everything is like pivoting around froget and this is why at the frog. That <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. That's impressive. So let me go back on the on the size of the team. Uh, I'm a big believer myself. Um, I love the the Basecamp guys, and they are they built such a big company, which is my is my team. But they're a bootstrap company. Uh, there's a the, there's a lot of pressure from investors on headcount. You have to keep growing. Um, how how you deal with that? Do you guys did you guys raise money? And how how you keep your like your company small? In fact, we did. Um, I'm also, I'm also the, this big believer, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed when I see those examples of companies who are bootstrapped and who have been building an amazing project uh, with no funding. In our case, yes, we've been funded. It is true that we haven't gone through large fundings. So we did like a um, uh, sit round and then like a small bridge round. Uh, and it is true what you say about the pressure uh, from investors in terms of, yes, keep on growing, growing everything, growing the number of people in the team number. So, but apart from that, I, I have to say that with the, you know, with the pandemic, with the slowdown, I mean, I think that every investor has reconsidered many things. And so now it's going back to, you know, to analyze very much the, not only the unit economics, but the efficiency, because at the very end, what you have as an investor, I suppose that one of the most important things that you have to check whenever you're investing in someone or in a team or in a project is the the ability they have to create with the money they have, right? So uh, capital efficiency would would be at least from my angle uh, one of the of the metrics that I or the you know the most important things I would observe. And in this in this sense, I would say that teams or smaller teams such as you know Basecamp could be, or if, you know I could say some other examples. Um, they become like references because that means that very big businesses come come out from, you know, a small but very powerful teams. And I am a big believer of that. Yes, me too. Like one of the books that I love that talk about, I don't know if you read, it's called Small Giants. Uh, and another founder, um, the Balsamic founder, forgot his name now, but he talks about like figuring out your company natural size. That's like 
you, you can't force things into be, but I, maybe like like you say, the pandemic, the economy downturn. Now people are starting to think there's not only one way of doing stuff, and and it's good cool it's, it's cool to hear that your investors are like, okay, they, they are letting you. Uh, you be more uh, capital effective, effective, and run your your business kind of like in a different way, but but maybe it's a better way, and also you get the foundation to be built. Um, so eventually, if you guys need to scale, you scale with a strong foundation of leaders that that have been working close to you. Exactly, very much. When did you know you had a product that people love? Um, as I said, Phil, uh, from the beginning, we were always very much in touch with the market. We always were seeking for this feedback from this information. So somehow we always had this um, this sensation uh, of, you know, being on track. Whenever we were losing that, we just tried to find out where was our real path. And uh, yeah, of course, launching in Absomo gave us a lot of I mean, info and, and feedback. Um, from there, um, it's been very much those, uh, yeah, um, that feedback or that, those testimonials or, yeah, of course, whenever they start referring you, you know, just because they love you, that's already something that talks very positively about you. So, yeah, very much those moments. But I, if you want me to tell you about you know, that, that launch in, in Absumo was like kind of a, a biggest step point for, for us. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, that makes sense. So you see people signing up, you see like solving a real problem. And that was like, okay, we know we have something. And then you kept building. So what has been one of your proudest moments as a SaaS founder? Well, <laughs> that's, uh, I would say that you know, in a, in a long story, ours is not yet that long, but you could have like different, different proud moments. Sure. Um, to highlight one, uh, since we are fully remote, um, we, I mean, our first annual gathering was like one special moment where I felt especially proud of, you know, seeing everyone in the team and seeing what we were creating there. And, you know, the three of us as founders, uh, of course, we were proud from the beginning. But when you look at the team and you see how they feel the project as theirs too, that also makes us, I mean, and especially me, makes makes me so proud. And seeing what, whenever they start sharing your vision and even building it up, that, that is also something that, really makes me, you know, proud and uh, gives me uh, the energy to keep on, you know, keep on moving and keep on running because, you know, there is something so special coming in front of us. So, yeah, I would say that one. But there are like so many others. But yeah, yeah that one was a special. For sure. That's why I say one. You don't have to find like the, the, the biggest one. But yeah, I, I know where exactly where you're coming from. When you see like your team, like start to get a division. Your team, like wearing the company, like t-shirt and like understanding where you're going. I, I've been there and it's definitely an amazing moment for, for us as a founders. So like you start in 2019, right? Correct. Thank you. Let's say you can go back in time. You're traveling to 2019 and you're going to meet yourself. Uh, and you, 
what advice you'd give yourself about uh, this business and, and your journey? Um, uh, there are a few advices I would give myself. There is one that, in fact, I try to I try to apply to myself. Every, I mean, every day. But it's like, you know, at the very end, you're the one who's going to be taking decisions. It's very good to, you know, gather and to seek for advice from, especially from others that have gone the path you are, you are going through. Because, you know, at some point they will help us with their experience to shorten, uh, you know, bad experiences or to shorten the periods of time you need to get to a point. So, you know, being able to gather that, that advice, but be strong at the time of taking decisions because it's you who at the very end who has to decide. So that, it, that would be one advice. So yes, gather and, you know, don't, don't hesitate to ask. You know, uh, when people ask me, I'm super happy to give them, you know, at least sharing them with them my experience. And uh, I've seen many generous people sharing their own experiences with me. And that has helped me during, I mean, during these years a lot. So I would, I would suggest and I would advise people to search for that advice from the very early, I mean, from the earliest moment, because that will help you. And then um, I remember this wording. I mean, we all have heard about it. Um, you know, the product is very important. The market is very important. And the team is essential. So being able to create and to search and go for the right team and to be able to, you know, to maintain them and to make them grow with you. So, you know... Bring it. I mean, giving them wings to to fly, but reasons to stay with you. So that that will be very much. Those are great advices. I, I love what you said about like being the decision maker. Like I I have a framework of how we make decisions in my company now. It's about a hundred people. I like to tell people there's always the influencers and the decision maker. And I'm like, who is the decision maker in the room? Listen to every single influencer. But if you are the decision maker, make the call. Exactly. If you're wrong or if you're right, it doesn't matter. We because you're just gonna keep moving. Uh, there's no point in like slowing down and like, you know. So um, yeah, I, I believe especially early days that's very important. I I sometimes people get shocked because I say, hey, this is not a democracy. Uh, <laughs> we listen to everybody. Someone calls the shot <laughs> and we're like what no, 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 but, but, but you're completely yeah you're completely right and you know knowing that you know taking the responsibility of going for any decision i mean you stick for advice you just listen as you said to influencers but at the end you know decisions have to be made and one more thing um this is the last one <laughs> i think creativity is essential so you can be very creative in everything i mean anything you have to do you can use creativity for that creativity will allow you to find new paths and to get to new solutions that have been unexplored before so you can apply it to any department to anything in the company so yeah so you know i always say that in our case for example being from spain 
means that at some point we see ourselves as David against Goliath. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, we are competing, competing with companies which are raising a lot of money and, you know, but what do we, I mean, what do we have? We have creativity. So the more creative we are, you know, the best paths or the best ways you can find to get to the result and to your end goal. So don't, I mean, don't forget to be creative at every step. There's a thing I like to say, don't know where I hear, but I repeat all the time. It's talent always beats unlimited resources. So it doesn't matter. Like you say, you are in Spain, maybe other companies have more resources, but if you bring the creativity, if you bring the talent, you can still win. Uh, and it's having the, the mentality that you can win. You said it was the last one, but I have one last question that I wanted, like you're still back then talking to yourself, 2019. As a founders, we all have fears. Uh, what would you tell yourself about the fears you had? Uh, and what, was the, what were those fears like? You know, you could have like different kind of fears. Some fears could be, you know, about how you are gonna be uh, in the different situations you're gonna have to face over time. Fears about the market. Um, I would say that one of the most important values or uh, qualities that we have to develop as founders is the resilience. So being resilient means that it's not only falling down and being able to start again for whatever uh, it happens, but falling down. And whenever you start back, you were there with even more energy and more resources than you had before. So um, I would say that trusting in that resilience um, would be a secret and a secret source to be successful because uh, even though you don't have the resources, uh, may those be uh, physical or, you know, material resources or uh, knowledge or whatever it is, you could go for them. But you have to trust that you could uh, and that you're going to be able to to face whatever comes. So, um, yeah, I would say that. So trust in 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 your capacity. I remember talking with Angel, and uh, it was a conversation. I think we had this conversation last week, and he was telling me like, "Look, Emily, <laughs> if I see Angel, who the Angel that I was in 2019, and the Angel I am in 2022, it's nothing to do." So I've been developing myself at, at such a speed. But Angel says that, but Juanjo says the same thing. And I do say the same thing. So we're evolving at such a speed. And I see that everyone in the team is evolving at such a speed that at some point your fear is that, am I going to be able to face, you know, so many changes and so many challenges that are coming up every day? And uh, what I would say is like trust, you know, trust and keep on going. Um, the power of focus is huge, is huge. Um, and this is also something that some companies, I mean, the more you focus, the more you're able to deliver and the more you're able to succeed. 
So, yeah. For sure, yeah. That's, that's such a fun exercise, right? To go back and think like how much we develop in the last three years and like how would it be to meet ourselves and how cool it would be if we had met ourselves a couple of years ago. So, so, so we, we, it has been amazing to, to learn about your story and about where, uh, how you developed the company. But could you tell me now, like, like where is the business today and where is it headed? <laughs> okay. So the business today is growing a lot. We're heading to be the reference for product success uh, in the meat market, as I said. This is a global reference. And uh, as I was telling you, um, today we are like growing up at a faster speed and uh, making sure that, you know, we create that new space there. Um, because we are like becoming uh, this new category, which is very much related to something that already exists, but from an angle which is completely different. So, yeah, we want very much to become that reference. And I believe, I strongly believe that we're going to be there. That's exciting. I believe you guys are going to be there too. And I have two final questions for you. Uh, the first one is, what book made a big difference in, in your career? There are so many books and I'm this kind of uh, eclectic reader because I read from different things. And even though it's not very much related to businesses, it helps me like, you know, approaching things from a different angle. But for example, I would say um, I loved a book, uh, Hard Things About Hard Things from uh, Ben Horowitz. That's a very good one that, you know, gave me like a very good vision and what he talks about leadership is great. And uh, then, for example, there is, this is from Spain, okay? Uh, Yolanda Batalle, she's a writer from uh, Barcelona. And she's very much into leadership too. And the name of the book, I'm going to say it in Spanish and then I'm going to try to translate it into English. This <laughs> atrévete a hacer las cosas a tu manera, which means it's like allow yourself to do your thing, to do things in your own way. And this relates very much also to um, uh, female leadership understood from a different perspective, which I agree very much and I feel very much related to. And so reading her was like kind of reading myself. And this also, I mean, this is a book I, I particularly recommend to, you know, those who are seeking for a different kind of leadership and trying to understand, and especially if they are females as I am, uh, trying to understand where, I mean, you don't need to replicate what others do. You just need to find yourself and your own way of doing things. So I think these two books are like very special. And then there is one from Ramli John that he especially, I mean, it was like published just a few months ago about uh, product-led onboarding. I'm sure you're, you're heard of it. Uh, so that one is also a very, very good one. And it's very much linked to us. So yeah, that one. So those three books, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I, I definitely want to read that Spanish book that you mentioned. I look for it. I hope my Spanish is good enough so I can understand. <laughs> I, I, will, I will send it to you. I will send the link to you. But but that, that's really good. And uh, it's really, I mean, when I, it was a, it was a present. It was, um, it was given to me by one of my of the frogged teammates and when I was reading it it was like wow it's very much I feel very much reflected in those words 
And so it was like, wow, it's confirming what I'm doing and knowing that there is that way, possi- possible way of doing things, which which um, I feel proud of too. It's exciting. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Okay, I, I love this session of the show because I always learn, I had new books for my list of things that I should read. I definitely read the PLG book because uh, that's what we do all day long, but I'm going to pick up that book and... If I something I don't understand, I can always use a, a translator. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So my, okay. my final question is how you spend your time when you're not working? Well, you know, I'm this kind of person who has a very uh, rich uh, life. And so, for example, I practice yoga, meditation. I love hiking and, you know, being in the nature and spending time uh, with friends. I'm very selective also at the time of, of surrounding myself. It's I have like a very intense inner life, I would say. So I'm this kind of uh, person who seeks to, you know, develop my also my level of consciousness. And I bring this to life and to my day-to-day uh, work. So I'm, I'm, I could define myself as a conscious leader too. And I love that, that part. So when I'm not working, um, I could be in the mountains hiking or meditating or maybe in a retreat, which I love also participating. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing. I, I love to ask this question because I think people that are starting their business, they should know that's not all about work. You have to recharge yourself too. And I love to learn how other founders do. Emily, it's been amazing to have you on the show. I love chatting with you. Uh, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you very much, Bill. It was a pleasure. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.